Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host Jack Silsha. Thanks for tuning in, Connecting the Diocese, as we work our way through Lent. I have a true story. A person was out with a group of friends having dinner. The dessert cart came around, and one person said, Oh, thanks, but no thanks. I have given up eating desserts for Lent. I'll have a chocolate shake, though. Later, one of the other folks said, Wait a minute, you said you were giving up desserts for Lent. And the person said, I said I was giving up eating desserts for Lent. I was drinking a chocolate shake. I'm putting that one in my Lenten information folder right up there with the one from several years ago where someone called the diocese sincerely asking whether eating frog legs would be considered fish on Friday. Not really knowing the answer to that one, I did consult with a group of bullfrogs and this was their answer. I do believe the consensus there was a resounding no. We'll be back with more. Bishop Callahan will be joining us shortly right here on Connecting the Diocese. Please stick around. Well, all bullfrogs and chocolate shakes aside, if you haven't quite gotten around to giving up something for Lent, you kind of got behind on figuring out what you were going to do, it doesn't mean you can't do it. Now, there's no law that says you can not do it if you start a week late. Just start today. Start tomorrow. Start right now, whatever the case may be. And as the bishop has said, it doesn't have to mean giving up something. It can mean doing something. It can be little things opening the door for someone who's got a whole bunch of packages. Maybe you're over at the grocery store during the you know four o'clock hour and there's somebody rushing to get home to make a meal for their family and they've got a cart full of stuff and you can tell they're kind of frantic. Well, let them go ahead of you. Simple things. And speaking of the people who are at the grocery stores, the folks cashing out and bagging your stuff, they're working pretty hard. Sometimes smile at them and say, you guys do a great job. These are all little things you can do just being nice for Lent. Maybe it'll even become a habit and you'll be doing this more often just just because it seems like the right thing to do. That's one of the great things about Lent. You're adopting new things. You're trying new things. And some of them stick. Several years ago, we gave up certain dietary things for Lent. And it stuck with us. It stayed with us for years and years to the point now where we've actually really changed our entire way of eating food and buying food and cooking food and doing all kinds of things. And it all began with a resolution at Lent to try something different and healthier. So try to think of this Lenten sacrifice, if you want to call it that, as an opportunity. For example, make a plan to go look at the diocesan website, diolc.org, once a day. Look around, poke around, see what you can find. There'll be all kinds of inspirations there. It won't cost you anything. They don't ask you for your email address or demand passwords or anything like that. And you may just discover that it's something that is a pleasurable thing to do. You learn something. You feel a little uplifted by it. And even after the Easter season, you'll keep on doing it. That's one of the wonderful things about doing something special during Lent. D-I-O-L-C dot org. And let us pray then as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The ability of people to come to Mass, to participate in the sacraments, to truly 
use the church for everything that they possibly can in terms of all the benefits that are provided for their souls, the peace of mind, the comfort, the solace, the ability to know that they are loved by God, to know that in each and every heart, the seed of God's love speaks most eloquently. And the church is a voice for that. The church is a means by which they can come into contact most, most vividly and extraordinarily with, uh, with the presence of God in their lives. live and we hold life dear. No one is useless and no one's life is to be discarded and no one becomes in one's frailty and sickness, no one becomes disposable. He offers a call of evangelization to go out onto the outskirts, to those who are the outcast, and to those who do not feel welcomed, while continuing to nurture and support the ministries that make this possible. The basic understanding of all of this is Christian teaching. Christian teaching reminding us that we are made in the image and the likeness of God, that God created us, God had a plan in creating us. No one of us is a mistake, no one of us is an accident. All these various sorts of things which are at the base of Christianity. If there's a bunch of people who believe in that, then we start to understand how these people can change the world as individuals and as groups. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in quiet. Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind myself unto thy name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one, the one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word. Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen.
Bishop William P. Callahan, the Bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse, a compilation of some things from this show that we've had on over the years and some of the things I always remember. No one is disposable. But right now, we can talk to him in just about real time, an interview I just finished doing with him a very short time ago. So here we go. Well, as promised, the Bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse, Bishop William P. Callahan. Bishop, welcome back to the show on this busy time of Lent for you. Thank you, Jack. It's good to be with you and certainly good to be with all of our listeners on this broadcast. Nice opportunity to share some time and start thinking about renewal, renewal, new life, new creation, all those wonderful things, flowers, daffodils, roses, daisies, you name it, we got it, birdies, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me they thought they saw some robins last week. I'm hoping that they uh, they did, because that's a good sign. We've been talking a lot during this period of Lent. Uh, we we're keying in on a couple of things that you had mentioned a long time ago about how, in addition to the idea of giving something up for Lent, you can also do something for Lent. And with that in mind, we've had a, a, a lot of uh, talk about that. Also, last week, we talked about the Eucharistic revival. We had the folks on from the Marriage Tribunal, basically uh, covering all kinds of bases because we have the marriage season going on. It was This was the time to say, hey, by the way, have you checked on this kind of thing? So we've been doing a lot about that. My wife and I have these most interesting dinner conversations. Now, we're, you know, we get locked in by the snow and we... <laughs> After, after a while, we, we we get pretty abstract sometimes. But we were talking about the Apocrypha. And my wife and I looked up some things about it. And one thing it mentioned was that you can get a much better idea of what life was like during that very tense period of time leading up to Easter from some of the writings in the Apocrypha. Because it describes what was going on with Rome and with the Jews and a whole bit going on. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the territory that we're talking about when Jesus is, is coming into, you know, Jerusalem. I mean, what was Rome doing there, for example? Good question. Rome came in as a part of the, uh, the whole unification, as it were, of the world. And, uh, you know, you think about, well, how did Rome have anything to do with the unification of the world? Well, all roads lead to Rome, and they started that way right about this time. As all of people and different sorts of things, the story of Jesus begins with the unification of people through Rome. The tax, the, the census, the various sorts of ways in which the world was uniting under Rome. And uh, this particular time became important because... Rome was the method and the manner by which communication was, was taken. And uh, the, the Jewish people, our ancestors in those days, were looking forward to the, 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 the teachings that ratified and taught and underscored all of the various elements of, of our understanding and their understanding of the fact that God was going to redeem us. God was going to send a redeemer. God was going to send someone who was going to make it absolutely crystal clear to everyone that God was in charge and that there was no one other than he who was going to help us to understand our relationship with an immortal, loving, good God. And so we started off with the... Uh, with the unification of the Holy Land. 
And the Holy Land, of course, essentially was comprised in the very beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as those 12 tribes developed, of course, they came from the 12 sons of Israel. And those 12 sons of Israel developed more and more and moved from uh, place to place throughout the Holy Land, even through Egypt, coming through and into the land that we know as the Holy Land today. And that, of course, became the place by which the prophets were, were heard. The prophecies of God were told. And as those prophecies uh, needed to be uh, told, needed to be explained, they were by prophets. The time of Jesus was, was a very difficult time. It was very arid. It was very dry. It was very difficult for the people to understand God's grace and gifts. So they, they began praying for the Messiah to come and to not only to explain and to help them to understand the presence of God in their lives, but to bring them to fullness of truth. And so the whole idea was that they were going to come to know God's presence. And that, of course, began a biblical time with John the Baptist. John the Baptist then started teaching about the coming of the, the Messiah and the growth of, of a people that was uniquely belonging to Almighty God. And the people understood that, and they started to see. And then, all of a sudden, appeared Jesus. And as Jesus started to move around the Holy Land, those places where, where Jews gathered and listened, the teaching places, the synagogues, the temple itself, people started to hear the message more clearly that God was with us. And so Jesus started his message by teaching the people uh, through signs and wonders, the miracles of his life, that he was the one who was going to fulfill all those promises, all those ways in which they heard the message of God to his people, that Jesus was the one who was going to fulfill those teachings. And in the three years of his public life, Jesus certainly did a lot of work and certainly did help the people to understand that he was the one who was there to fulfill those promises, and he started to do it. And the ultimate was, of course, the miracles that he did and he performed, and ultimately the miracle, of course, of his passion, his death, and his resurrection. And as the apostles then went out, and started teaching the message of Jesus. They started teaching in his name. And more and more and more, they started to, the people started to understand that God was with them and that his message was truth and his message was peace and his message was love. 
It's interesting that you point out that uh, this occupation by Rome was not a recent thing. It's been going on for decades. Really? And even, even in the Christmas story, they, they were moving because they were going to do a census and keep everybody in order, basically. And so Rome it? had been there for a long time. They had an entire system of government they put in that was kind of overlaid over the Jewish system. And there was a lot of conflict between that going on. You know, as long as the Jews had their rules, as long as they didn't conflict with Rome, eh, you know, let those Jews do what they want. But uh, then along comes Jesus. And number one, this gets the Romans worried because it sounds like there could be an uprising if he's the Messiah. And also, then Jesus had a lot of stuff that also tended to break some of the Jewish laws as well. So here's two groups of people both of them going, what is up with this guy, Jesus? And, and the of multiplicity course, of gods, too. Yeah. There were the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Egyptian gods. And then comes Jesus saying that there is one true God based on that teaching of, of John the Baptist. And Jesus then fulfilling that uh, those, those prophecies and those teachings by being the one who works the miracles and teaches about God's activity among them. And then there's, of course, John the Baptist, and look what happened to him. You know? He got so excited, he lost his head. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 when he was just kind of a, a guy out there eating locusts, they didn't care so much. But when he tied it in with Jesus, they began getting more worried, and essentially he was, uh, well, he was basically executed, but under special circumstances. Uh, it was just one of those, you couldn't make this stuff up. <laughs> Uh, no. And that's what makes it so wonderful. Even to this day, thousands of years later, it is not a story that could be made up. It is obviously a story that is told in truth and in faith for those who hear and believe. Also, and I have not looked this up to uh, to find out specifically where. Now, although the the uh, the Muslim religion does not recognize Jesus the same way that, that Christians do by any means, he is mentioned in their Quran. And if this was some kind of faked up thing that a whole bunch of Christians put together, they're not going to call up the Muslims and go, "Hey, by the way, would you drop this fake thing in over here too, please?" Because we really want to convince people it's happened, even though we're making it up. It, it doesn't work that way. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. Yeah, and as my wife so wisely said years ago, she said, if this was fake, it wouldn't have lasted all this time. To which I, of course, having been a disc jockey, said, yeah, look at all the pop groups that come out that they spend millions and millions of dollars on to promote their newest album, and six years later, you can't remember who they are. That's right. You know, Very I true. Mean, yeah, uh, you know, the Beatles may be 50 years, but that's we're talking 2,000 years without without a PR company or T-shirts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, yes, it's an it's amazing true. story. It is an amazing story. And uh, it's, it's important to understand this because a lot of times, you know, you sit there in church and then there's the long story about the persecution and getting moved back and forth and going to Pontius Pilate. And people might not realize why did he have to go to Pontius Pilate? Who was he? But he was the Roman authority at the time. Yes. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. And he was the one who was in charge of keeping Roman law and keeping Roman people at bay and under the, the thumb of the Roman authorities. 
And so, of course, as Pontius Pilate started to hear of this problem with, uh, with the Jews, which, of course, became very difficult, they, uh, they started to realize that if they started to listen to Jesus, they were going to lose control of the people, the Jewish leaders, and that was Caiaphas and, and uh, the leaders of, of the Jews who were there to keep law and order among the Jews. Pilate was there to keep law and order among the Romans. Jesus was there to bring them all together as God's family. And it was quite, a, quite an endeavor until finally they decided that they needed to do away with Jesus. And to do away with Jesus, the only thing they could do was to have him crucified, to have him killed. And that was the part of where, where everything needed to come together. And they certainly did. And Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, one of his own followers, Judas Iscariot. I never spent a lot of time listening to the the rock operas, the Jesus Christ Superstar. But the only phrase I remember from that whole album was them saying, "What do we do with a carpenter king?" Because uh-huh. he he wasn't he wasn't what was being expected. He wasn't coming in in triumph. You know, <laughs> he's coming in on a donkey. And, you know, carpenter king. This doesn't work. This does not compute. This is not what's supposed to happen. This can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> so many ironies that were that were placed in there, and if you get a chance to see um, Mel Gibson, the Mel Gibson story of uh, Passion of the Christ has that that dialogue between Pilate and Jesus. Who do you say you are, uh, and all of those different sorts of things. That that dialogue in the movie is recorded in Latin. Jesus is speaking with Pontius Pilate in his language, the language of Rome in Latin. It is not, it is not just Jewish. It is a conversation that goes on between the one who has come to bring them together, and that is Jesus himself. It is remarkable. There are so many things. We, we, we talked in a previous show about how you can go even into the back of the church and assuming they have a, a literature rack that is curated, um, you can find things. You can find study guides. You can find pamphlets. There's all kinds of things that you can read. Now, I frankly have not delved into the Apocrypha, despite the fact that my wife and I have talked about it, uh, to find this information that they're saying is pretty good. But there's a lot of stuff this time of year that is floating around uh, from legitimate sources uh, and it can be as close, like we say, as a literature rack in the back of your church, uh, that you'll find things that will explain what things were like, what Jesus said, things to contemplate. And it's interesting to do this, and the reason I wanted to talk about these things we're talking about today is in context of what was going on. Because a lot of times people don't know the tugs from both sides, from Rome and from the Jewish population, yes. and then... Here's Jesus just telling this stuff, and he's got these 12 guys. And he's got nothing better to do than to come and tell the truth. That is the thing that needs to be we need to be reminded of when we start talking about how Jesus moves about. And he says the things over and over again that people need to hear, not necessarily those things that people may want to hear. 
and that he comes bearing the truth, the truth that makes us free. And it is Jesus who opens their minds and their hearts. And it is the thing there that we start to come to understand that Jesus's message is one of faithfulness and truth. Yeah, it's a, a good thing. I, I've got that the recording we did a while back of the uh, the famous uh, poem, One Solitary Life. Yes, I was <laughs> thinking of that. That's just, again, and I'll credit my wife on this, this can't have happened by a series of mistakes that somehow throughout history, the cards just felt in the right direction in his. It doesn't work that way. No. Uh, and also, you know, the fact that if you go to any convenience store in the area on Fridays, there will be fish sandwiches. Um, uh, why? It's because people want to do something on Friday. They follow the regulations. And, be and because so many are doing that, they put out fish sandwiches on Friday. Yeah. I mean, it's a real little tiny thing, but this, the influence all the way through. At a later date, we'll probably discuss Good Friday and how... There is a feeling in the air that afternoon that you cannot deny. It is just there. Um, it's a wonderful time of year to, to spend a little time reading the Gospels and just to try to put all the pieces together. And I think this conversation will be, um, will be very useful for that because we, people can then kind of see how it all fits together, which they may not have done. They may not have done. Um, you'll hear so much, of course, during Holy Week, and at a later date we'll talk more about that, how that whole thing pieces together beautifully. It's a busy time for you. It's a busy time for our priests. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, if you uh, need to find something to do for Lent because you can't figure out what else to give up or whatever, you can go to your local parish and just talk to the priest or the deacon and say, you guys need some help with something. Uh, they will need it because there are people are cleaning up the churches. They're doing all kinds of stuff. It's a busy time for you. It's a busy time for our priests. It's a busy time for everybody. We have just a short time left. Any any other things on your mind you want to talk about before we uh, before we head out for this particular session? Well, I'm hopeful that people are going to take time to sit and to ponder Easter, to ponder the rising star, to ponder the the, the gift of Jesus to ponder the gift of God who gives of himself so completely to us. This is a thing that is, that is just, this is the thing that really rattles your world. You know, that God would come, that God would send his son, that God's son would come and redeem us, and that God's, God's son would, would suffer and die for us, and that in the suffering and the death, he would rise again from the dead. This is absolutely incredible stuff. Nobody could make this up. We've tried over and over and over again to kind of create a story that would rival the story of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen. So my friends, if you're listening to us today, take it seriously. Read the Bible, listen to the stories, Read it out loud sometimes so that you could hear it and not just, not just let it be something that gets stuck between your ears and your head and just kind of, you know, fumbles around in there. Read it out loud so that you can hear what God has done for you, how he has come, how he has treated you, and how he wants to understand 
His love for you is real. And very quickly, I've forgotten the term for what it is when you pick one sentence that really strikes you and you study it. Um, oh, uh, Lexio Divina. Lexio Divina. Yeah, this is yes. a wonderful thing. Every once in a while, you'll read a sentence in, in the Gospels, and you'll sit there and you'll go, this is really something. And Lexio Divina, as you have described previously, is yes. you, you, you read each word and really understand what they're there for. You uh, read very, it, which is the Lexio, and it is divine, it is Divina. So you have Lexio Divina, and the Lexio Divina, the part that you ponder and study, is that which opens your mind and your heart to understand that God is speaking to you here with something that is new and different. And you should really try to listen to it in a new and a different way. And every time you hear it, it will always present itself in something new for you. You always say, I don't think I ever heard it that way before. That's precisely why. It's Lectio. It's divine reading. It's God speaking to your heart. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And it's a, a, a wonderful idea uh, to be, try it. It's very simple to do. It's not going to cost you a dime. <laughs> and it's a good thing. Sure. Bishop, Bishop Callahan, thank you so much for taking time out of this busy, busy time for you. And I know it's been a, a very busy uh, uh, season for you. We hope to get you on s some more. And uh, we will be doing some special programming as we move further and further into the season of Lent. But gee, Anytime, thank you so much. Jack. And um, thank yeah. you for, for laying out the, the what was going on way back when because I think that um, a lot of folks probably didn't realize what a... You talk about tense political situations and polarization. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> That's for sure, yeah. I mean, those days, if you were on the wrong side of uh, believing, you could lose your head. That's right, literally. <laughs> literally yeah. so, yeah. Bishop William P. Callahan is the Bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse. Bishop, would you uh, leave us with, a, with a, a quick prayer and a blessing? By all means. Almighty God, we thank you for teaching us of your love for us in a very real and vivid way by coming among us yourself and telling us of your love for us, showing us your love for us, and suffering and dying for love of us, and most especially your life which is among us still. We ask that we may believe that you are with us and that you want us to be with you forever in heaven. Almighty God, give us your grace, give us your compassion, give us your openness to the joy of great gifts. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. We will talk to you again. In 1926, Dr. James Allen wrote the following. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. 
He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Shortly after our recording session with Bishop Callahan, his blog was released to the diocesan website. Since not all of you are able to go online or perhaps know about this, I thought I would read it to you because it's a very significant one. Again, I'm quoting now Bishop Callahan. It is with great hope and admiration that we mark the 10th anniversary of the opening of the cause for canonization of the servant of God, Father Joseph Walieski. So much has happened since 2013, and so many people have been involved telling the story of his life and ministry, all giving witness to his heroic holiness. I've come to know him through the people who work side by side with him, and the countless more who knew him and his missionary zeal. It was Father Joe who introduced the people of Peru to the Diocese of La Crosse, and it was Father Joe who reminded the people of the Diocese of La Crosse of their baptismal calling to be missionaries for Christ go out to all the world and tell the good news. When I visited Casa Hogar in 2011, we were celebrating the fifth anniversary of Father Joe's death. As nighttime drew near, and while holding lit candles, everyone began the ascent to Father Joe's tomb, which is located on the side of the bluff overlooking Casa Hogar, the slums of Lorraine, and the Pacific Ocean. It's about a 20-minute walk on mostly sandy, rocky ground. But once you arrive, it is the most magnificent view. What is more astonishing, however, was the reverence we felt as we journeyed up. A quiet descended upon the adults and children as they approached the tomb. Then, one by one, they placed their candles on the ledge in front of his tomb, giving testimony to Father Joe's love. Many of those gathered knew Father Joe, and Father Joe knew them. Their reverence showed me that something very special had happened. Their reverence was evidence of the encounter they had with Father Joe, the encounter they had with Jesus through Father Joe. As I watched their actions and felt their emotions, I further realized he was a heroically holy man. He touched lives, he healed brokenness, and he brought hope to the children of Casa Hogar by giving them a sense of dignity, the dignity deserving of every child of God. It's been ten years since his cause was opened, so now, with renewed resolve in faith, we pray that if it be God's will, Father Joe will be given us as a saint and a hero of the church. Father Joe inspired the people of our diocese, 
to imagine a better way for the abandoned and marginalized people of Peru. And now Father Joe's legacy inspires us to see how our lives can transform others if we align our actions with his. Always seeing the face of Christ in everyone we meet, especially the people the world tries so desperately to forget. Please join us for the 10th anniversary Mass that will be celebrated at the Cathedral of St. Joseph the Workman at 10.30 a.m. on March 19th or watch live at diolc.org slash live. End quote. Again, Bishop Callahan from his blog. I wanted to get that information on now in time for this weekend because you'll still have time to go either catch it live online, and I do suspect it'll be up there as a rebroadcast, as it were, later on as well. I also was one of those folks who never got to meet Father Walieski. It's a shame that he was in town for various things, and I just never happened to get to it. But in the early days of me working with the diocese, we had some relatively uh, primitive video equipment I was working with. I was able to compile some essentially informational videos using a lot of still photographs that were taken by various pilgrims who went down to Casa Hogar and oh, all kinds of other sources. And I got to kind of have that same feeling that the bishop was talking about because these kids looked so happy. It was a policy and still is a policy of Casa Hogar that unlike some charities, they don't show kind of like before and after pictures of these orphans. They don't show them in a decrepit state, dirty, unwashed, with bad hair. They show them happy, dressed properly, and basically looking really nice. And I was able to take a whole bunch of these photos and by a careful cropping and finding little pieces, make kind of a slideshow with music that became a video. One of my favorite ones, though, was that these little boys were in mass, and this was taken from behind. You could just see the back of their heads and the back of the pew. They were so short that their feet wouldn't reach the floor. They were dangling under the pew. And both of them had on new shoes that were nice and shiny. You have to understand that some of the original orphans that Father Wally Eski found were sleeping in alleys using bits of newspaper as blankets. And that's when he said he couldn't go home that night and sleep in his comfortable, warm bed, knowing these children were out there on these very mean streets. Unprotected, vulnerable, suffering, feeling lost, feeling neglected, feeling like nobody cared whatever about them. And here are these little boys now with clean hair, clean little suits on, their little feet dangling, wearing brand new shiny pairs of shoes. What a wonderful legacy. At one point, I also edited a video of his funeral procession, which was mind-boggling. It's the only word I can use. You know, it started out what looked like a very simple thing, where they were in a church with a lot of people in it, a funeral mass, and they were carrying his casket outside. And then pretty soon, more people showed up, and people began taking turns carrying the casket, Monsignor Hirsch, among others, uh, carrying his casket. And pretty soon, like a Cub Scout troop showed up and they were marching along with the casket. And pretty soon there was a band showing up, like a marching band showing up. And pretty soon the camera panned back. And it wasn't a question of there being hundreds of people. There were thousands of people. And along the route, taking him to his final resting place, people were holding up banners they had very, very carefully made. There were paintings of him being displayed. It was absolutely remarkable. And one of the most touching things was, at one point, as they were taking turns carrying his casket, there were maybe four or maybe six older ladies, you know, post-middle age, let's just say, 
taking up the casket and carrying it for a short distance. They were some of his original orphans that he saved off the streets. And like so many others, uh, these people who were carrying his casket, these, these ladies, lives had been completely changed, completely turned around. They were essentially saved through the grace of God and Father Joseph Walieski. So I didn't want to let this weekend pass uh, without a few comments from my side and also the bishop's blog regarding what's going to be happening this weekend and the 10th anniversary of his elevation, first as servant of God, which he most certainly was. Jesus, you died upon a cross Rose again to save the lost Forgive me now of all my sins Come be my Savior, Lord and friend Change my life and make it new Help me, Lord, to live for you Change my life and make it new Help me, Lord, to live for you En una cruz Resucitaste con poder Perdona mis pecados hoy Sé mi Señor y Salvador Cámbiame y hazme otra vez Y ayúdame Hacerte fiel Cámbiame y hazme otra vez Y ayúdame A serte fiel Hazme otra vez Y ayúdame a serte fiel Change my life and make it new Help me, Lord, to live for you 
You are listening to Connecting the Diocese from the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Previous shows are all available at diolc.org slash connecting. There's no fee to hear them. We don't ask for your email address, nothing like that. You can just go up there locate that particular location, diolc.org slash connecting, and you'll see the most recent show, and you can click on it to listen. You can also download it if you wish to put it on your personal listening gadget, and they're free, and you're welcome to share them as well. I think there's about the last hundred shows there. During the season of Lent, we tend to bend a little towards a more instructional phase of the year. We don't uh, tell as many jokes. Uh, You won't be hearing my friend Paul Sadek and I talk about movies to watch, things like that. We try to explain what's going on. I'm sure we'll be talking more about Holy Week coming up pretty shortly as well as what that is all about. It's a totally different feel than than Advent, where we're, we're kind of jolly in expectation. Here, we're anticipating the great sad story and the triumphant story of Jesus as well. And it was very interesting to hear the bishop talk about what was happening in that particular part of the world when the Roman Empire was in complete control of what was going on. But also, at the same time, we talk about different ways that you can experience Lent and basically experience the whole Catholic faith. It's interesting that Throughout virtually all religions, not simply Catholicism, there is a, uh, I guess you'd have to call it a religious psychology. Uh, There is not a one-size-fits-all way to deal with being Catholic or any other religion for that matter. In my studies, I don't have an advanced degree by any means. I have the least advanced degree in religious studies that you can possibly find. But anyway, regardless of that, I did learn that there are different ways of thinking and dealing with how you like to praise God. There are people who are very action-oriented. These are the kind of people who want to volunteer at a homeless shelter to help people in need, to help build habitats for humanity, to uh, do the pancake breakfast. They've got to keep busy. Some people are, as we speak, planning on when they are going to go to their church to do a scrub-down to make sure everything is nice and clean. They clean the confessionals, they clean the pews, so it is sparkling and shiny for Easter Sunday. There are also those, as we've heard very often, who absolutely love adoration. They love contemplating the Trinity. They love all these things that they want to understand. They want to sit. They want to pray. They want to adore. It's how they feel fulfilled. There are others who really enjoy what the bishop was talking about, Lexio Divina, where they pick apart particular readings and try to really understand what they were saying, what all the messages that are found, even in a relatively short sentence. And there are those who are just feeling absolutely elevated by, oh, for example, the, uh, you know, the, the Easter vigil and then the magnificent mass on Easter Sunday or the mass on Christmas Day, those kinds of things where the music is playing and the, the bells and smells and the processions and all of the wonderful adornments that go on. The nice thing is, is that you don't have to be only one of these Basically, people can be a combination of all of these things. They can have a particular preference for being active in the church and doing stuff, but at the same time, they can love adoration. Or they really enjoy studying scriptures, and maybe they really love the the symbolisms and the, the services and the processions and all of the things that go on during very special times of the year. It's not one size fits all. So if you are turned on by a particular aspect of the church and really kind of go, the other stuff, I don't really, you know, I like it, but I I really much prefer to be doing this. That's perfectly normal and, and perfectly okay. 
And now on a totally different topic, somewhere along the line, I acquired one of those little tiny New Testaments that I believe the Gideons put out, and they've changed them over the years. The Testaments are the same, but I mean, basically the design of the cover is different. And also, I couldn't help but notice the, the help in times of need at the beginning of the New Testament, help with life's problems. And I think this has changed a bit over the years. Now they've got special places to go look up for abortion, for addiction, for adultery, I'm changing the page here, for dealing with anger, dealing with anxiety, dealing with bitterness, cheating, depression, dishonesty, drunkenness, fear, gossip, a lot of ones for gossip, by the way, greed, guilt, hopelessness, insecurity, lust, lying, peer pressure, revenge, and self-righteousness. Now, I'm not saying that the, the little free uh, Bible that you get, which is not necessarily the Catholic edition, but the little free one you get is the ultimate source to go for these things. But isn't it interesting that they are dealing with modern problems? And I believe they have added things to them over the years to deal with our changing times. One thing that we always deal with also is people saying, teach me how to pray. And with that in mind, I want to replay a little something that was done with the bishop a while back, back when we were still using telephone communication during the pandemic, for something that people seem to really enjoy, and that's the bishop talking about how to start a prayer life. Let's listen. You know, Bishop, I talked to these seminarians over the years, and priests, and religious, everybody, and they always talk about how beneficial it is for them personally to have a prayer life. Number one, can you define a prayer life, and, and how do you get one? Yes, and that's good. People are looking for ways in which they are going to move more deeply into life in a secular way, but also looking for how they're going to move into life in a spiritual way. People need to have that. People will be listening to us and be certainly thinking about something that's going to come up that's probably going to have something to do with a spiritual nature. And prayer is part of that. Prayer is the uh, communication with God. It is seeking God. It is talking to God. It is the ability to have various kinds of ways in which we not only think about God, but that we do need to talk to God. Prayer is always dialogical. It is the way in which we listen to God and we respond to God. It is the reality of knowing that there is a God. So when we want to try and establish a communication with God, yes, it is precisely that. That's where our prayer life begins. And it is the seeking of God, the search for authenticity in our lives, a way of understanding that I want to be a good Catholic. I want to be a good soul. I want to be a good person. I want to have some kind of way of knowing that my faith is determined by a whole lot of issues, but the most important thing that there needs to be is some kind of communication with Almighty God. So that's usually where it starts. Hello, God. It's Bill. I just thought I'd stop by and say hello. That's it. That's the start of a prayer life. 
The start of a prayer life is just the little thing that you're driving in the car, you go past the church. You know, sometimes I'm really impressed. I drive with a lot of different people. And sometimes when going on Lozy Boulevard here in La Crosse and we'll drive past Blessed Sacrament Church, I'm amazed at the number of people who keep on going but make the sign of the cross as they pass Blessed Sacrament Church. Be aware of the fact that there's a tabernacle in there. And sometimes even in the diocesan center, I'm surprised when people are walking up and down the main corridor, they pass the doors of the chapel there. And the chapel's huge at the diocesan center. So when you walk past the doors, somehow there should be some act of reverence. That's a prayer life. That's part of your saying hello and acknowledging the fact that God is close. Now, not every single time, not every single person is going to acknowledge and think up front about the fact that the tabernacle has the living presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior, right there. But you have to think about the fact then that everywhere you go as a baptized Catholic, you have the living presence of God in you. You carry the life of grace in you. So the idea is that we come to understand that there is a higher power in our lives, that there is a way of coming into contact with some force that is greater than I am, that there is something, someone, some idea that is greater than I am. In coming into contact with that and seeking that out in our lives, we are establishing a spiritual life. There is a way in which we come into contact with that with which God intends to speak with us, to call us, to nudge us. And if we stop enough just to be able to listen and acknowledge it, we are establishing a spiritual life. Once we do that, and once that starts to really become part of our lives, then we can move ahead and start talking to God. But there's a way of saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if you're hearing me, if you're listening to me or whatever. God always listens. God always listens. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of talking. Don't be afraid of doing whatever. God always listens. He loves to hear from us. God never gets tired of hearing from us. So don't worry about that. Stop what you're doing. Continue what you're doing. Be aware of other things that are going on, but God can multitask. And so people tell me all the time, but God knows everything that I'm doing anyway. Yeah, he does. God knows. God knows what's going on before you know it. And God knows how it's going to turn out before you do. But you don't. And you need to be able to work it out. You need to be able to talk. And sometimes even talking to God in prayer takes us to a different kind of level of understanding where we're going, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. Because many, many times, any good psychologist will tell you this too, we have a way of working out our own psychological business if we can talk about it. A lot of times a good spiritual director is going to simply ask questions and let you talk about yourself. Let you talk about your spiritual life. Let you talk about your spiritual problems, your difficulties, whatever. You talk about it, and as you talk about it, you work out a solution. You work out a way in which God can use what you already know 
what you are already thinking and how you are already problem solving, God has put those things inside of us to begin with and expects us to kind of use those things. And psychologists, spiritual directors, counselors, people who know their biz help us to choose, not by telling us what to do. So that's a psychologist you don't want to have. That's the spiritual director you don't want to have. Somebody who's going to tell you what to do. And that's not the way you go into spiritual direction. Tell me what to do, Father. Tell me what to do, Sister. You know, that's not it. It is, I've got this situation. And hopefully, a spiritual director is going to say, what's going on? Just kind of get you, me, everybody else to whatever to talk about it. And as we do, you know, I have, I have a problem with God. Well, okay, let's talk about it. God's pretty big. I mean, God's a pretty big issue. You probably may have a problem with the neighbor dog more than you have a problem with God. And the neighbor dog is just yapping and carrying on and doing whatever, and you don't like it. And all these different sorts of things all come together and they become your problem with God. Not quite. You know, there's just lots of ways of working these things out. And so what we do is very simply start your spiritual life with simple things, a simple greeting to God in the morning. Do you still say your morning and night prayers? Do you start the day with a prayer? A simple prayer will do. Good morning, God. Thank you for helping me to live this way. I've got a big old statue of the Blessed Mother out in my backyard over here at the residence. And she's lit up all night, thanks be to God, because I talk to her all night long when I can't sleep. And I just sit on the side of the bed and I talk to the Blessed Mother. Now, this is an image of the Blessed Mother, but I know really that I'm talking to the Mother of God. And I go to the chapel and I sit there and I talk to Jesus because I know that he's in the tabernacle. And I'm not talking to the wood, but I'm talking to Jesus who is there. And I know that. And that's the thing that helps me to be able to focus. I think everybody else gets there too sometimes. We need to focus sometimes on the good things that God has already begun in us and just be able to say, okay, Lord, I'm confused right now. I'm sad right now. I'm troubled right now. I feel rejected right now. I'm so happy right now. I don't know what to do with myself. There's all kinds of things going on. God knows that. He uses those things and helps us then to be able to come through. And slowly but surely, we start to trust that God is helping us to do what is necessary in our lives. The more we trust God, the deeper our spiritual lives become. So you try that, folks, for this new year, and see where you're going. Talk to God, simply. You know, it doesn't have to be any big, sterling kind of prayer that comes out of a book. You've got prayer in your heart. You've got prayer in your mind. You've got lives of prayer that are just being ready to be lived. You take those opportunities, and I guarantee you that you will hear from the Lord, and you will feel much more confident about your relationship with Almighty God. Jack Sosha here with you on Connecting the Diocese. Hope you enjoyed listening to this special Linton show as much as I had fun putting it together. Don't forget you can drop us a note at connecting at diolc.org. 
Please do me a special favor in your prayer routine this week and these coming weeks. Please keep our bishop and your local priests and deacons in your prayers as this is a very, very busy time of year. So much has to be done. So they could stand a little bit of attaboy support and maybe a few prayers heading in their directions as well. We'll see you next week on Connecting the Diocese.